I love that. Uh, holy, holy, holy. But man, I really love those kids up here. I mean, you know, I saw some of them and it's exactly what I'd be. That's probably why I don't clap hands. Not because I'm not supposed to, but it's like. <laughs> you heard a, never mind, I'm not going to say that. But nonetheless, <laughs> I find that interesting, but I, I think that's so great. Janice is doing a wonderful job. And um, we're so we're so proud of all these children up here, and, and it's just just marvelous. I just think it's just it just is great. We've come so far. We've come so far. You know, we all come from different backgrounds and upbringings, and we all know that. Last Sunday evening, we were over at the Rankies' house. We do a Bible study there with them, a small group study, and. Uh, Jeff and Gaylin are doing a tremendous job with that. I, I can't compliment them enough. And But all small groups, so that we have uh, several of them here at Western Hills, and if you're not a part of one and you'd like to be, they meet at different times periodically. And um, so if you'd like to be a part of that, just check with me or one of the gentlemen up here, and we'd be glad to steer you in a direction. And find one that fits for you because they're not all alike, and that's okay. They're different, and we are different. Well, anyway, we were there and we were talking about, uh, and uh, you know, the spiritual growth in our lives and how that works. Anyway, we were there and we were looking around, or and I was looking around the room and I saw all these people. And um, in that, I some saw, uh, saw some that were tall, some that were short, me, and some were brown hair and colored hair and gray hair and some no hair, Jeff. But then uh, we, some were from New York and some were from Alabama. And it was amazing because the Alabama boy met the New York girl and they got married and now they're living happily ever after. I think that's awesome. And then some were from Tennessee, have to forgive them, and then Kentucky, and Texas, and even from a place called Walters, Oklahoma. We had a meal together. When we get together, we always have these meals and they're more or less uh, kind of a potluck thing. Everybody brings a little bit of this and everybody ate different. Some chose the soup and some salads and and some were veggies and some were, uh, you know, fruits and some like an extra dessert now and then. But in that process, we had, uh, we all drank different and we drank, uh, uh, and I say we drank different. We drank water, tea, or, or maybe some other things there, but none of us soda. I'm just kidding. We all dressed differently. Some had jeans and some had khakis and, and yet we all had, uh, I'm sure we all had different shoe sizes, uh, but Every single one of us in that circle, and as we went around the room and Jeff was addressing these questions for us, what was fascinating to me is they were all, we were all different. Uh, different comments make about a particular verse or a segment of verses, and we were all uh, had different takes and different likes, I guess, and maybe what was really speaking to us in that particular time, and yet it was interesting. Well, I said all that to say this. We See, we were reading from the book of Ephesians, and we were talking about unity, and what does it do, and how does it, uh, you know, how does all this unite us together as children of God? How does how are we united in that? I to myself, as I looked around that room, and I tried to evaluate things, and I looked around the room, well, that's because everybody's like me, because everybody wasn't like me. That was for sure, and I was happy for it. And so that really caused me to think about doing this particular message this week for you as we begin and continue to move through our spiritual growth through, and then we put a word each week. I want to talk to you about spiritual growth through unity today. 
Now, some might think, well, how's he going to figure that one out? Well, just hang on to your hat. Maybe we'll go for a ride here, okay? All right. In the book of John, chapter 17, we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus is praying. And this is just before he goes to the cross, by the way, before he's arrested. And uh, he prays a three-segment in his prayers. And that's good for our lives to pattern as well. He prays for himself. He prays for those of his followers, which was his disciples, the closest ones to him. And then he prays for everybody else, which includes me and you. And that's why I want to go to that particular passage of Scripture. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, Jesus speaking here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their this message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, some 21 times or so, perhaps even more, you see the my or the me or the I or the us of God in that scripture. And that makes it powerful because it's speaking of them. But what makes it so wonderful, it includes you and me. And I love that about our God. He's not going to, he's not going to take anyone away. He wants to invite all to come. And so there is no doubt Jesus is certainly praying here for complete unity. He uses that word, the completeness of unity. Now, some would simply say and have said and do say, I should say, some would say that that simply means that we all must be just alike. Therefore, if we are not, we cannot be united whatsoever. That's it. End of story. Pull up the draw bridge, stay inside the moat and live happily ever after until we all die, and some do. If that were the case, we would be in some serious trouble. And that could be one reason why there is so much dissension with among many in the Christian arena. Now, notice I said the Christian arena. I didn't say the religious world. Because the religious world, religious people are not united with the Father. There's a difference there. Not all religions are connected to the Father through Jesus the Christ because they don't claim Jesus as their Savior. However, Christians, the word Christian itself, mean its meaning is to be Christ-like. So first and foremost, what we do is claiming to be Christians. We are making a statement up front that there is a connection to the Father, and our connection is none other than Jesus Christ. Give me an amen. All right. But we must keep in mind, we must keep in mind that conformity is not the same thing as unity as some might teach and do. And praise God that it's not the same. And I say that again, praise God that it's not the same. The concept of unity through conformity is a form of a thing that we call in our world today legalism. Legalism is not only a term term used in the political world, but it's also in the Christian realm as well. It's thrown around, I think sometimes loosely and sometimes too loosely. What does it do? It demands that we be legally correct on all points to attain salvation and unity. 
First of all, legal correctness by man is not attainable by man. It cannot be done. Therefore, under such doctrines, creeds, rules, guidelines, whatever term you want to give to that, neither salvation nor unity are attainable by man. Why? It is because salvation is not man-driven. It is God-given. Period. Salvation isn't found in Jesus because man says so, or a group of people say so. Salvation is found in Jesus and Him alone because God said so. Period. But many would argue that point. The old law lived under, in the Old Testament, of course we know, and we read about the Ten Commandments and why they were given. It's, and it's even mentioned about in this, and it proves it out throughout the Scripture. But let me insert this in Romans chapter 8. I would encourage you to read in the entire chapter, or really the whole book of Romans, because it really is powerful. It shows the past, it shows the present, and it shows the future. It shows the law, but more importantly, it shows the grace that God has extended to all mankind. That's how I would kind of describe it. So take a look and see for yourself. It says there in this particular verse, it says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Notice those two words there together, our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Stop. If God gave the law, why can't the law take care of it, some would say. Well, it's a good question. It's because the law was to point out what sin was, not to clear anyone from sin. It was to show us what sin is. We can look at these things and say, oh, yeah, that's why. Why? Because God said it is. That's why. And in that, so from the time the law was given, during the time of Moses, From the time the law was given until the coming of Christ, man has some way, and some way, as you read through the Scripture, you find a way they've got it twisted, turned, tweaked, and add-ons, so much so that they command things of people to do and not to do, and to say and not to say, or they would be lost. Sound familiar? In other words, conformity. Conform to what we say, conform to what we do. If not, you're toast. They pretty much put that out there. Now, so Jesus addresses this in many places throughout the New Testament in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But he addresses it, I think, the best in Matthew chapter 23. And in Matthew chapter 23, He really turns loose. In fact, it's some of the harshest words that Jesus says to anyone on the planet. But he says it and he addresses it to those that are the most religious people. But notice how it starts off here in verse number 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, I say stop. When we read too quick, you miss so much. I guess that's why I read so slow. I don't want to miss it. But in this, he says, Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, two groups of people that he's talking to. One, the disciples, those that are followers of him, that he hand shows, if you will, that will continue to teach the good news, the gospel, after he's gone. He selected them. Now, he's talking to the crowd of people, or a crowd of people. 
Now, why would the crowds come to Jesus? They come the same way today, oftentimes. Some come just to see what's going on, what's happening. They were curious, and people were, because they had heard about him from traveling from place to place. So some were curious. Some were hungry. I hear this guy can feed us. So we're going to go and we're going to follow this guy because we're sure if it comes lunchtime, we don't have any food. He's going to take care of the food for us. Some people come for potluck to church, but none of we're going there. But nonetheless, in that process, so he would do that. Some came for healing because they had been sick or ill or even demon possessed and they had heard the story or perhaps they had been touched before had relatives that told them, you've got to get to this Jesus. If he comes anywhere in your vicinity, you need to come to this Jesus. So they would come for actual healing because Jesus was compassionate toward the people and he fed them and he healed them in many cases throughout Scripture. Give me an amen. So that's the groups that he's talking to or the two. But in that crowd are also those that are called the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawmakers, if you will. Now, they were there for a whole different reason. They were there because they didn't like Jesus rocking the boat. And they didn't want Jesus to set any stage that was going to trump them, and he was about to really trump them here in this passage. So he's talking to the crowd and the disciples, and he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that sit on Moses' seat. So far, so good. I'm sure they were listening up. Ha ha, he's going to talk about us today. I can't wait. And then Jesus comes back and says these words. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Stop. Yes, we are good to go. He's on our side. He's finally figured his thing out that we are the ones in control here. Why did he tell them to do what they told them to do? Why? Because Jesus had not died on the cross yet. They were still under the law. Jesus wasn't there to disrupt that. He was there saying, look, do what they tell you to do. The next sentence is what really perks them up. And I mean, it really gets them bad. He says, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Anybody ever hear that in your life? I'm thinking these guys are kicking the stand and saying, man, get the rope. We're going to do something today. They do not practice what they preach. In fact, what they do is they tie up these heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. Other people's, not on their own. Oh, no, no, no. We're okay. We've arrived. And they put them on their shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And so we could really talk about that more. And if I was doing a Bible class, Mike, I'd probably talk about it more. So what he does now is he's going to give them the seven woes. These are the seven woes in Scripture in Matthew chapter 23. And I'm only going to give you two real quick. Now, when you read it, it says the seven woes. These are not like, whoa, horsey. These are like, whoa, you're in big trouble, mister. I mean, big time. So he says the first one in verse number 13. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He just says it exactly like it is because he's already told the crowd what they are. They don't practice what they preach. And if you don't practice what you preach, what are you? That's right. Do you call yourself a Christian? Now watch. 
You, you shut the door in the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In other words, and we could spend more time there, but he's saying, look, you won't even let those that are trying to get to the real truth get to the real truth. Why? Because you've twisted it, tweaked it, and you've added on things. He goes down into verse 23, and then he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He doesn't change his language here one bit. I'll just give you the whole load. You're going to kill me in a few days anyway, but you're not going to kill me. I'm going to willingly go to that cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. He said, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin, and, and, and why did they do that? Why would they do that? Well, he's, it's a compliment. Hey, you did good. Thumbs up. You got one out of three. Pretty good. No. He's telling them that because that was, again, was the law. It was to give. It was to do that. But notice what he says. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain at the gnat, and you swallow the camel. And we chuckle a little bit that when we say that, because man, that's big. It's in other words, you just, you just, you just weed out these big old camels, but man, look at all that stuff you're doing to these people. Now, keep in mind, it's easy for us to be in any group of people, even in a denomination and point fingers at someone else, or those that may not go to church and call those people hypocrites. There's a big difference in us doing that than when Christ did that here. First of all, because he was correct in all things, not some things. All things. Secondly, and, and I think this is really important in that process, he was willing and he knew that in a few short days he was going to the cross to die for the sins of those that ridiculed him, that put him down, and that wanted him to die, he was going to die for their sins as well. Are you willing to do that for those that you talk about? It's really important for us to look at that. So back to Romans chapter 8. The law of Moses was unable to save because of the wicked a wickedness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. What did God do? He sent his own son in the body like the bodies of our sinners have. And in the body, God declared an end to sin's control. He didn't declare an end to sin because we willfully sin. But what he, what he's done for us that have claimed Christ as Lord and Master and King, what he's done, he's given us dominion over sin because now it can be controlled. Don't you walk around and say, I can't stop myself. Because sin can be controlled if the Spirit of God lives within the individual. Does it mean that you will be perfect? No. But it means that you can control that because now we have dominion over that, over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Give me an amen. Unity. Unity is based on being in Christ rather than agreeing on all interpretations. Because you're looking at a guy that hasn't figured it all out yet. Any takers? Got it all figured out. Everything. Every little thing. Spiritual weakness often comes by making sure others are like Jesus. That makes you weaker than faster than anything I know. Is trying to look at someone else and Jesus addressed that as well. How do you address it? He addressed it once again in Matthew by the speck in the beam. Get the beam out of your eye before you look for the speck in somebody else's eye. 
And so he addresses it very clearly. The command has never been for us to look more like each other. The command has always been for us to look more like Jesus. Can I have another amen? All right, very good. Keeping that in mind, keeping that we're to look more like Jesus, keeping that in mind will will help you grow spiritually. How? Well, what we do, wherever you might go, if you're visiting with, wherever you go, the person teaching the classes, and all those things, listen to me, we, what we must do in all of these in mind that all have to somehow point, everything we do has to point to Jesus and the cross. To Jesus and the cross. Because at the cross, our sins were forgiven. And Jesus is now in heaven preparing a place for those that have put their faith, hope, and trust in him and believe that he went to the cross, went to the grave, come out of the grave, and now is preparing that place for them. Give me an amen. It's important that our focus stays on Jesus and the cross. Now, if you don't, what happens? If you are not careful... You can get bogged down with the superficial things and miss the supernatural things that God wants us to have. This by no means, because someone's saying, whoa, boy, he's treading in in, in, in some rough waters here. Listen closely. This by no means gives anyone the freedom to do whatever one wishes to do. And God is okay with that. The heresy. You just can't pick and choose and say, well, then I can do whatever I want to and God will be okay with that. Knowing Jesus as your Savior gives no one the right to exploit God's grace or withhold it from others. Somehow we think we're the one passing it out. How can we stand in need of it? Give me an amen. So Paul addresses the the church at uh, Galatia. And he says these words, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And I'll just stop with that. You can read the rest. In that particulars there, nowhere in that scripture does it say anything about a style and or preference. It simply says that they turned from Jesus. Because Jesus is always the key to our worship. For churches or individuals to look and act alike in their service for the Lord or even in our worship setting does not assure us unity. It doesn't. And that's okay. Unity based on similarity such as styles and expressions or preferences is called conformity or uniformity but not unity. But it does not make the unity talked about in the Scripture and what Jesus prayed about in Scripture that we read earlier. How in the world could the Jews and the Gentiles get together and worship together? How in the world could that happen? Was one side saying, you got to become just like us? No, you got to become just like us. I'm sure that happened a lot. But in this process, may we always remember, how was it that the early church, Scripture explains that to us, how was it the early church, a mixture of different backgrounds and traditions of all kinds, could come together and be united? 
How was in the how in the world could a church grow from just a handful? The church grow from just a handful to scripture says multitudes upon multitudes of people in such a short period of time in the book of Acts. How in the world could that happen? Was it going to happen because they all dressed alike? They all sang alike? They all looked alike? And they all ate alike? I don't think so. The unity achieved in the book of Acts was based upon one thing, believing in Jesus Christ, period. It was the belief found in Him and Him alone. And the nature of that unity was in their hearts and their souls. Do you know how it got there? It was fused in their hearts and souls. Some of you might be surprised how I got there. Do you know? You got to go over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It tells us it was fused in the body of Christ when, you might be surprised, but it was upon their baptism. Notice what it says. For one spirit are we all, not some, not a few, not a group. Just read it with me, if you will. Let's read the whole thing as a church. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Do you see what it says? One body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, from the north, Alabama, or uh, New York, or whatever the case is, from the north or the south, whether we're bond or free, rich or poor, and have been made to drink into one spirit. There's just one. Remember Jesus' cry was what? For them to be one, as we are one. It's not to be divided. God isn't divided, and he doesn't want his church to be divided, because the body of Christ, or the church, is the body of Christ. And God will not marry a body that is divided among itself. It won't happen. Now, you have to believe that it was not easy for the early church, because I want to make sure I insert this. I inserted this yesterday. You have to believe that it wasn't easy for the early church having centuries upon centuries of their traditions to move through. And even from today, many today, because of their traditions and their upbringings and where they were raised and how they were raised and how they were tweaked this way and tweaked that way, and all of those things and the styles of worship, worship and preferences, that they are, they have a struggle with some people. That is to be understood and not condemned because they struggle with it. Because if we struggle, if you struggle with it, saying they're not just like me because I've arrived, then you're struggling with something totally different. In that process, let me just say it this way. I have a nephew that is a minister in a small Baptist church in Kentucky, a little place called Waynesburg, Kentucky, right next to Eubank, where I grew up. And in that process, I will tell you that I am so very proud of this young man. I am extremely proud of the work that he does from within that community and how he's developed as a Christian in his walk. It has been an absolute amazing thing to see, and I am so proud. I will tell you that we have never pulled, we have never, in our talks together, we have never been pulled apart through our differences, and there are some. 
But we have always loved each other because we know that we know that we know that we are united, not because of our preferences or our styles, but we worship God because we are one in Christ. I know that he teaches that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I've heard him teach it. I know that he teaches that one must come through Jesus Christ to God. I know that he has been baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, which placed him into the body of Christ. Not because man said so, but because God said so. I just pointed it out to you. And with that, he is my brother, even though he's my nephew. And I could not be more proud. The vision within the body of Christ causes spiritual weakness. That's why I brought this up. It causes spiritual weakness. The scripture says, if you don't believe that, listen to this. The scripture says in Mark chapter 10, that when a man and a woman are married, they become one. I don't know a Christian that doesn't believe that. So, That doesn't mean that they look alike, act alike, or talk alike. Don and I have been married for 42 years. I praise God every day. She doesn't look like me, act like me, and talk like me. Because we would have a big problem if you know what I'm saying. But we are one because God said so. Period. In marriages, when when you get together and in this process of this, oftentimes there's arguing and fussing and fighting. It brings what? It brings dissension in the marriage. And if not dealt with properly, I know I counsel. If not dealt with properly, it can lead to some very ugly things, and we all know that. That is Satan's desire. You need to know one thing about your marriage. God is for you. Satan is against you. Satan will do everything he can to divide your marriage. Satan will do everything he can to divide you from your children. And you need to claim and hold on to Jesus that has made you one. And I, listen to me. Somebody says, wait a minute, what? I got divorced twice. And you know, I am not condemning anyone. That is not my responsibility. I understand those things. God understands those things. And God is a God that forgives and restores. And God is a God that sets you on a course with Him that will change your life forevermore in the marriage that you are in if you will let Him. Period. About to preach, aren't I? Why well, slow down here? <laughs> we, when I was a kid growing up, as a teenager, there was not far from our house. We lived out in the country, and there was this, and I call it out of respect. There's this Holy Roller Church, and I don't know if you know what Holy Roller means. That's not you know roller skates, but they were having a meeting up there, and I was real curious, and and I parked my bike outside under this big oak tree. They had the windows up. We didn't have air conditioning back then, man. And and so I parked my bike out there, and man, I mean, hey, in about 10 minutes, I got the heck out of there. But I was intrigued, so I went back. After the things that really seemed strange to me, I noticed something. They talked about Jesus and Him on a cross. They talked about Jesus going to a grave. And they talked about Jesus coming out of the grave. And they talked about, you can give your life to Jesus, and He can change your life too. 
And I was like, hmm, not so bad after all. There is no difference within the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 12. We are one with Him, Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 6. And when we argue and fuss and fight over trivial things, some pretty ugly things can and has happened, and Satan just loves it. The last thing Jesus prayed for was for us to be united. And Satan knew that, and he took that, and he said, Now, watch what I can do. Wow. We must keep in mind that our enemy is not other Christians. It is Satan. I would declare to you today that dissension divides while diversity makes us unique and strong spiritually in the body of Christ. I am thankful for a David Jackson that comes from Alabama. Raised differently, raised in the church, but raised differently. And to listen to him in a Bible class. Or David teaching a Bible class, or Jim coming from uh, the military background and, and uh, his upbringing as a child, and, and different ones, and Mike, and, and, and different ones that came through different avenues and backgrounds of all these beautiful things. That diversity makes us unique, but I believe that it only doesn't make us unique, it makes us strong. It makes us strong. Because we're not so harsh to condemn. Now, what in the world does this do for unity and being united together? How does that help me grow spiritually? These are real quick. First of all, it means you're not alone. Isn't that good? If you're united with each other, it means you're not alone. So Logan comes from Kentucky. He's here for a few months. He can, he can find a church. He can find a family. And he knows his bride back in Kentucky He's not alone. When I went into service and I had to leave my family for a while and go off, and Jim talks about that in his, and you went off somewhere and you found a family, you're not alone. And when you're not alone, it makes you feel a whole lot better and a whole lot safer. Can I hear an amen? Secondly, and most importantly, God designed it that way. God's just designed us to be together. Some people say, I don't need to go to church to to be a Christian. I don't think God's going to send you to hell because you're not at church, but I'm going to tell you, you'll be a lot stronger if you get to church. A lot stronger. Rick Warren says, the Bible knows nothing of solitary saints. In other words, God wants us in a family, so he puts us together in the body as he chooses, Scripture says. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. We didn't get there the other day in your uh, study, uh, Jeff. I think we were in 6. We were in chapter 6. Or we were in 4. Okay, we were in 4. Um, he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Who does it? Who does it perfectly? A group of elders? A minister? God does. God's the one that does everything perfectly. Give me an amen. Now watch. As each part does its own special work, that tells you you have something special. You are not a nobody. God's put you right where you need to be. So be it special. You just look in the mirror every day and say, I'm special. All right, each part is its own special work. It, it what? It helps the other parts. What? What? Oh, spiritual growth. So when you're doing your special part and I'm doing my special part, guess what? Whoa, we're growing together. 
Now watch, so that the whole body, I am one, I are one, Marvin Phillips said, I are one, is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, Christians that do what God has called them to do allows the body to grow correctly. And when we grow correctly, what you will discover is love overflows. Why? Because God is love. That's why. I want to grow more. I want to be more spiritual in my walk with God. Why? Because I want to love a world that looks unlovable at times. Jesus went to the cross for the Pharisees as well. Remember that. Whether we like it or not, and some don't like it, (laughs) whether we like it or not, we are to be involved in each other's lives. Why? Because we are united in Christ. Listen to this and I'll close. We are commanded in Scripture. We are commanded to love each other, serve each other, greet each other, encourage each other, accept each other, teach each other, honor each other, forgive each other, bear each other's burdens, submit to each other, and be devoted to each other. Now, if that's not connected, I don't know what in the world is. Huh? I shared this. I didn't know. I don't know where you're going to close this one, Arlie. That's what I do in my office. I'm like scratching my head, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to close this thing up. Well, I thought about the one that I said years ago about my grandson when he's just a little tyke. He's now ready to graduate, we hope. Anyway. (laughs) I'm just kidding. A couple years back while we were on vacation, so this is many years now, we went over to the cemetery to visit the graves of my parents in Kentucky. You know, I'm from there. And when we all loaded up in the car to leave, and man, I mean, we were packed in there like sardines. And when we were getting ready to leave, our grandson said these words. He said, you know, all of us in this car wouldn't be here if it weren't for Papaw Bob. That was my dad. And you know what? Our grandson was absolutely correct. We would not be here if it weren't for Papa Bob and Grandma Reen. That was my mom. Getting together in life, falling in love, and creating a family, including moi. So I was taking credit. However, it certainly started a long time before that, didn't it? Started a long time before Papa Bob and Grandma Reen. It started with God, you see. It started with God. God wanted a family, so he created a way for us to become his very own. His very own. He gave us a way to be united to him once and for all, not through traditions and not through preferences and likes and dislikes, but through Christ alone. So read Ephesians 4 there all for yourself. Here's the challenge for the week. Trying to give you one every week. First, this is a two-parter. Praise God every day that he allows you, us, a way to be united with him forever. Isn't that good? If you can't, just praise God for that. God, thank you for allowing me to be united to you through Jesus Christ. Not about all the things I've said right or done right or say right, look right and all these acts right, but because of Jesus in Christ. In Christ alone, we say, in Christ alone, my hope is found. And that's where it's at. 
My only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. Second part of that is this. Find some way to display Christ to someone every day. Every day, find someone to display Christ to. And keep in mind that doing so, you have planted a seed that has the potential, the possibility to unite them to God for eternity as well. Isn't that awesome? Don't tell them what you do. Tell them what Jesus has done and you'll be just fine. You'll be just fine. May we keep that in mind this week. Do you have the unity of God? Do you, my friend? Have you been united to God through Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, we pray that through all of this that's been said today, that you found encouragement, that it's not about what we say, it's about what God has done and what He did for you. It's the same thing He's done for us. He gave His Son to die on the cross to take away your sins. And when you receive that and you're united with Him, He binds you together in this body, this thing called the body, that He is the head of. Not me. That He is the head of. Jesus loves you and He gave His life for you so that you could be united with God the Father. And if you would like to accept that today, boy, oh boy, we would love to witness that. You can come together as we stand and sing.